present pursuit of entertainment, agitation, and some adjective to be named later. The Holmes Tommy proudly presents TrekQuest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your host for TrekQuest 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 178. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Uh, no exuberant Joey this time? Um, Where did that go? It was go? just forceful Joey this time. Forceful. That sounded like we're, normal we're gonna, Joey. We're going to try some different moods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a guest here. Uh, long-time listener. Yeah, that's uh, true. Multi-time joiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend John Madsen. John, father of the podcast. Father yep. of the podcast. Welcome back. Thank you. I just walked in the door. I just ate a uh, turkey dinner, and I can't make it upstairs, so I'll just plop down here and sit it out. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Was that uh, uh, Becca? No. Uh, her her little pre-Thanksgiving thing, I think, is in two weeks. Okay. It's closer to Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm kind of, I'm priming the pump a little bit. Uh, I got I, I gotta say <laughs> it's the pre Thanksgiving pre pre Thanksgiving yeah. dinner because yeah. you really got to ease yourself into yeah. it. Yeah, um, and, like part of me like was like I can't believe I'm ordering a turkey dinner <laughs> in November. Uh, it almost seems like a waste, but I, I think it, it actually will like help me like kind of collectively get into it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I recently, for the first time ever, ordered meatloaf in a restaurant. <laughs> Was not disappointed. Where at? Judge Cafe. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Ridiculously loud restaurant. By the way, Reagan... Mm-hmm. was our server nice yeah i thought okay yeah i didn't know she was there i know i know i know some of our friends have traded service there uh, a little like gone through the cycle of, but when you say judge cafe don't you mean cafe why yes yes i do i appreciate cafe i appreciate the uh the correction i think i'm more jealous though of what you're drinking right now uh, yeah yeah i do uh, have to mention that can, can you tell the listeners what that is there's a um a brand called hood and i don't really know if they exist everywhere i picked this up at Harmon's, but it's sugar cookie eggnog and uh, i'm not like oh. a big fan of eggnog like really at all like i don't like i kind of have to force myself to get into the spirit of drinking it every year uh-huh um you know because i see it at parties and stuff but uh this sugar cookie stuff it's far more, it's far less eggnog and far more just a liquid sugar cookie. It, you, I think last year yeah. was the first time you, it ever came into mm-hmm. this house. Right. I'd never heard of it before. I saw it, tried it, and fell deeply in love with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous how yeah. tasty that stuff is. Super tasty. And this is like, what is this? This is, uh, this thing is. What, a one quart? It, yeah, it's, uh, 32 ounces. Is that a quart? I don't know. 946 milliliters, almost a liter. I'm from of America. Stuff. I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> How many feet is it? <laughs> it's actually a foot, about. <laughs> Roughly? It's, it's like 10 inches? It was, I would say this is about 10 inches, yeah. But uh, it, it's, uh, what is this? This is about a liter, right? Um, and last year, I think we bought like 10 of these. <laughs> and just went through them. Like, I, I could drink one of these a day. Yeah. Now, I haven't gone grocery shopping yet. And the fact that you just brought that here means that I'm going to be on the look for it, look out for it now. Okay. Now, I haven't seen it at Smith's, so you may have to swing by Harmon's. Maybe. Okay. Uh, depends on how long we go with this podcast. Yeah. We'll see. 
Um, anyway, welcome back, everyone. Uh, sorry we took so much time off, but mm, life is plateauing out, I feel. <laughs> nah, no, no craziness uh, uh, anymore, uh, or at least not for a little it's while. It's nice that it's letting up for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so anybody want to bring something up? I've got one thing I want to talk about before we get into the, the traditional flow. Uh, today... I watched Ender's Game. Okay. I was wondering if that's what you did today. Yes, yeah. I did. And I interrupted him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right as the movie was starting and I had like 2 minutes earlier just was like, "Oh, I better uh, you know, turn off my cell phone mm-hmm. because, uh-huh. you know, that I've never had to do that in a movie theater before." <laughs> um, and uh so I I pulled it out, turned it off, put it back in my pocket 2 minutes later, uh, my pocket is buzzing and i pull it out and it's joey and i use the fancy little thing that says i'm busy let's call you later ender's game the movie i would say is not great Mm -hmm. and i don't mean it did a terrible job of representing what is the book by orson scott card ender's game i mean it's just a it's not a very well put together movie in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it fell short in several different areas. Um, it, it was not faithful to the book in, in many areas. Probably the most frustrating for me was the character of Bernard. Mm. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say more later when we're off the air. I don't want to give up any spoilers or whatnot, but it just felt like this was an action movie with some stuff about little kids um, and Harrison <laughs> Ford thrown in occasionally. Right, yeah. Um, which I, is okay. That's, there's nothing wrong with a premise of a movie like that. But I, there were inklings, and I'm looking at you, John, because you've seen it, Yeah. Um, of, of some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the character who plays, uh, or the character of Major Anderson is played by Viola Davis, which I think... Well, okay, I'm I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Hiram Graff, a couple of their scenes were actually really good. I thought that they were some of the highlights as far as like, you know, telling a story and and people interacting with each other in 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 this you know, uh, um, uh, tense way. I I thought that was really really good. Mm-hmm. But then would fall back into all of this inconsistent storytelling. That just it it made things fall flat for me, and I couldn't wait for the movie to end. <laughs> I, I was really disappointed with it that much. I thought you probably wouldn't like it, um, but I thought maybe there was a chance you would find something in it because I kind of thought it was like plot wise pretty faithful to the book. Like they didn't change like major it, like as far as like book to movie translations go, they didn't change like. The percentage of stuff they changed for this movie was less than most other book-to-movie translations kind of thing. I, I, I like your thoughts, you know, because you've talked about this mm-hmm. before, about how if you're going to do a movie, well, mm-hmm. you know what? Let, don't make a, a a complete reproduction of what the book was. Yeah. You know, branch out, explore a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas, I, I kind of thought, all right, you know, John's kind of right in that <laughs> area. And 
I I try to I tried to let that kind of be my guide a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas, I thought, okay, you can't tell the exact same story. That's fine. Um, and some of the way in which they they did, um, I don't want to say too much more, but uh, the the giants drink um, mm-hmm. and fairyland. I actually thought. You know, actually, I'm I'm okay with that. You don't ha- mm-hmm. the story of Fairyland and what happens in there is incredibly important to the to the character of Ender. But for the sake of a movie, you can kind of cut out a lot of that stuff. Right. I mean, you you still they they brought it back in there at the end. With- See, ironically, I thought that was something that they were going to cut. And like me, you know, mm-hmm. who who wants them to change certain things was kind of worried. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a hypocrite because that's one aspect that I do want to see. And I was right. glad to see that particular aspect, you know. So, right. I mean, that's that's what's going to happen with every single, yeah. you know, adaptation. So, uh, I'm, I'm right in assuming you didn't care for it that much either. No, I, I didn't. Um, I And I, I think um, a lot of it, the, this was my sum. This is what I was, the, the way I want to sum it up that I was excited to tell you now that you've seen it, I can tell you. Ender's Game the movie seemed a lot less like Ender's Game the movie and a lot more like Ender's Game the book report on Ender's <laughs> Game the book. <laughs> nice. it, it was every, everything everything was represented but just it didn't have enough time to go into depth on any one particular thing of the book. Um uh-huh. and and like you know the book has has many themes the movie doesn't have enough time to explore everything that's in the book but it would have been nice if they focused a lot more on one particular thing and made it the movie's own like you know uh, I'm fond of saying I I I found um and I'm the only one who thinks this but um I found the music fairly atrocious like and and it really not so much like the notes I didn't like, like I wouldn't like listening to it, but it was just very just standard, safe production, mm-hmm. and it played constantly through yeah. the whole movie. The yep. whole movie just had music just going through, telling us how to feel. Yeah. And it would have made a huge difference if there were a few scenes of Ender in silence where we could just witness his experience and not the movie soundtrack's experience and i think that would have gone a long way also it would have gone a long way if if they if they shot and set the movie from more like a child's perspective rather than like from a wide like from above perspective but like a tight from below perspective and got a lot more vendor and i like how you liked harrison ford and viola davis um Mm -hmm. that's what i would have cut though Really? I would have made it more specifically uh, us lost in from Ender's perspective and not catching the perspective of anybody else, and I think it would have helped the movie. They did a fine job. Like, um, as far as acting yeah. goes in the movie, I thought they were the shining stars of acting, but I, I yeah. see your point. Yeah. You, you could probably I would have just cut written those it differently. scenes yeah. and, you know, tell, you know, that story differently. I, I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Joey... See the movie anyway, despite okay. what we say, because I'm curious of what you would think of the okay. movie. Yeah, I, I can already tell you that I my expectation going in mm-hmm. is that I'm going to be frustrated with it because <laughs> Orson Scott Card waited so long to do this because he had a particular vision in mind, and I don't think Orson Scott Card is a great movie writer. Right. Yeah. A- and I think that he probably my expectation is that he held too much control. 
and they didn't just say, you know what, Orson, it's a great story. Can can you let us hire some professionals at this? Because right. this is not a novel. Mm-hmm. We don't want a visual novel. We want a movie. And and that's been my expectation ever since I heard, yeah, they finally made it. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> to, to my knowledge, though, I, he really wasn't a part of the the movie too much. He's he's a he's on the credits as, you know, producer, mm-hmm. but I think that's just because, you know, his name is on the book. He, I don't, he held a lot of creative control over mm-hmm. what actually ended up in the film. I don't I don't think so because the screenplay was not even done by him. It was done by the director of the movie. I think he lost the control that he had been holding on to for so many, many years. He's spoken several times about how yeah, I you know I may, I wanted to make sure scene X got in there. I was very yeah. adamant that scene X got in there. As the movie was in production, he was talking in blog posts and at at conferences mm. and stuff about how I hadn't heard I haven't heard I, anything about that. See, at all. I got and I didn't research this like you did. So what you're saying is probably true. But watching the movie and just kind of after waiting for so long, I got the impression it was my impression. Maybe I'm wrong, but it was my impression that Orson Scott Card held out for control for so long but then just got so tired <laughs> that he's just like fine just make the movie i don't care anymore that's kind of how i felt about it but maybe maybe it was his control that led to the vision that i saw which kind of surprises me honestly but maybe that's how it was yeah i i don't think that he would have told that story if that were the case because i mean one of the frustrating things for me was Oh, what we've got to make sure no one is his friend. He can't ever be loved by anyone. We've got to isolate him, and let's put everybody around him all the time. Uh-huh. Let's, you know, uh-huh. I, I, it was ridiculous the amount of okay. We've got to keep him separated, and yet everyone is constantly around him, and he's sharing his feelings with everyone. Mm-hmm around him it just got so ridiculous interesting okay i thought the battle room sequences were okay yeah yeah, yeah. i i was i was happy with i was the hoping the for more out. of them i think i think it could they, have they used broke more. a few a few rules mm-hmm. uh, i was but... always hoping for more of them in the book so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah in the end i thought that it was a visual visually a good representation of what the battle room could have been mm-hmm. i i had no concerns with the battle room. i was just a little bit worried because i heard the director talking about how uh, he wanted to make it more of a grand spectacle with having um, the uh, – and this is this is me saying, oh, it needs to be more like the book again, which is me being a hypocrite. That's fine. Um, but like uh, he said, yeah, he was so excited because like one side is like of, of, of the room. You see like earth and all its splendor and then you see the emptiness of space on the other side. And I was kind of like – well, we can't have that, though, because that's going to give perspective to the kids, which is something they didn't have until they reoriented themselves and the enemy's gate is down kind of thing. Yeah. But, but I didn't notice that as much as he said that I would. So it's fine. So I do have something I want to go into before we okay. get into the regular flow. John, I, I have to know what's going on with this fantastic shirt that you're wearing. Oh, right? yeah. You're the second person to talk about this shirt. This is an old standard of so mine. I, I want to I see how many of these I can get right because I, as Pete was giving his review of the movie, I could not take my <laughs> eyes off your shirt. Uh, so I've got Iron Man. I've got Monty Python's Black Knight. Right, these are all helmets that I'm wearing. Yeah, helmets. Yeah. There's, there's no faces. So yeah. then Boba Fett, Saren, Magneto, mm-hmm. obviously. I want to say Rocketeer on the next one. It's funny. Um, my uh, when I hurt, I hurt my finger. You can see I hurt my finger. Uh, I wore this shirt uh, two weeks ago when I hurt my finger, and the doctor 
was doing the same thing <laughs> to the point where he had his little computers like, I'm looking this up. I think I know who this is. And, and he said it was the Rocketeer. Okay. And I'm like, a lot of people say it's like a Cyberman from like Doctor Who. But we looked at Google Images. And I think it mm-hmm. is that closer to like the Rocketeer. A, yeah, it doesn't look like a Cyberman. So then yeah. we have Darth Vader. Yeah. I'm not sure who the next one is. Oops. Okay. This but one here. That is, is that uh, Predator? That is Predator. Okay. Yeah, you see okay. the three dots here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you got Robocop, obviously. Yep. Tron. Yep. Is that a Power Ranger? I is think that what so. that is? Yeah, I it's think either so. Power Ranger or Voltron. I think that's a Power, that's a power Ranger. Okay. Uh, I think that's Judge Dredd at the bottom. Right, yeah. And I don't know who the other one is. Oh, that's uh, that's Gladiator. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That is okay. Yeah. Yeah, very good, Joe. You you did it faster than most people. Well, I've been, I like I said, I have been sitting here staring yeah. at it as Pete was talking about Ender's Game going, that is a brilliant shirt. I love it. All right. Hey, uh, we'll have to take a picture and post it then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was that it? Was yeah. that your thing? <laughs> uh, seriously, I, I could not take my eyes off John's T-shirt. And it, you have to go a long way for me to get to notice what people are wearing. So I felt it was worth calling out. It's uh, way better than your shirt, by the way. I just yeah. want to say that. Yeah. Especially today. Although yeah. both red. Both red. That's true, yeah. I wear a lot of red, even though I'm not a... University of Utah fan. I don't own any blue shirts, ironically. See, the, yeah. the funny thing is I'm a big University of Utah fan. Mm-hmm. I only own two red shirts. All my other shirts are blue. That's, that is weird. That's a weird thing. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. You two should just switch uh, wardrobes. Yeah. I, I, that would be sure. great. That would be fantastic <laughs> I'm to see. pretty sure that would be uncomfortable, <laughs> me trying to squeeze into John's wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yours are fine, though. I'll just cinch them up. Like, <laughs> do like a southern girl oh, No, no. Do the thing like they, the girls did in the 80s where they'd like, oh, yeah, they bunch the it side. up and tie yeah. it up around. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to that. be a I good one. Yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's do facebook find of the week then we'll do adventures in republican top five and then joey's culture corner okay that sound good sounds great um okay so we are going to give the award this week uh for facebook find um to rhett oh Oh. wow which is i think maybe a first yeah uh for him um the he posted up a link to a story about Ender's Game controversial author, um, which I read the article. Don't know if you guys have or not. I have not. I think, is that the Grantland one? Yes. Yeah, I read that one. Um, I thought was brilliantly put together. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the analysis that this person gave. Um, and I, he hit on a lot of things I feel strongly about. In other areas, I was like, nah, is that really true? I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but it was a very well put together article and I enjoyed reading it. Um, so congratulations to Rhett um, for uh, for finding that and posting it up. We appreciate it. Uh, or at least I do um, since uh, I think I was the only one left to comment. Oh, no. <laughs> I think Brian left a couple of comments as well. Right. Um, so, Joey, Adventures in Republican. Okay, it was. Uh, it's been an interesting day. Um, I woke up at four o'clock to prepare the uh, treasurer's report for our quarterly uh, Republican meeting, and then went to the event. I had to be there by six o'clock to set up. Seven o'clock, we had executive committee, and then we had from eight until one, almost one o'clock, we had our meeting. And uh, proceeded to see every single motion that I brought forward shot down 
unequivocally. <laughs> in a meeting with 201 people, I think the most votes I got all day was six. Were you wearing that shirt at the time? I was not. I was not wearing this shirt because I know better than to wear Utah gear to a Utah County Republican meeting. All I get is BYU That's fans. Where, yeah, BYU uh, uh, land is that. But uh, it, it was a bloodbath as far mm. as the things that I wanted to see happen for the party. Um, the, and I did end up giving a treasurer's report. And I found out I had to report to the body. My accounting is off by a dollar and 30 cents and I can't find it. <laughs> I don't know where it went. So I'm a terrible treasurer <laughs> and I don't want what the body wants. So <laughs> it, it was an adventure. And it was Republican. Ah, uh, that sounds d- deflating. It was. And then I went and I watched the University of Utah Utes prove that they're a bad team by finding a way to lose. They they had a seven a nineteen to seven lead going into the. There's eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was nineteen to seven, and the Utes lost. So. It's been a bit of a rough day. <laughs> it takes takes talent to be able to do that. Yeah, it really yeah. does. Yeah, that yeah. Consider that it takes talent to do that. Uh, wait, there are there any theories as to why? Uh, it, or like, w- w- were did you just call forth bad policies, or was it just all politics, literally? It, it was very much political, and it was the the people who are on the other side of the issues as me are very very popular in Utah politics in general, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's probably going to lead to. The Count My Vote initiative here in the state of Utah, which is an attempt to get rid of the caucus system. Mm. We are probably going to lose that issue. Utah will probably lose its caucus system this next election year. Oh, interesting. Well, that's historic, at least. Yep. We've actually done it before. Yeah. Uh, we, we We were a direct primary before, and we've come full circle now back to trying to get away from the caucus system again and end to a direct primary, so... Not a fan. I think the uh, the caucus system is fantastic. I'm a big fan of it. And uh, I'm going to be sad to see it go. Oh. Okay. Well, thanks for the adventure in Republican. Uh, we'll jump into our top five. And I uh, we had an email sent in by um, one of our listeners, my friend John Madsen. Right. And this is... The beginning of this is not even about the top five, which, by the way, top five Marvel mutants, not DC mutants, Marvel mutants, not Marvel altered humans, not right. Marvel augmented humans. <laughs> Spider-Man's not a mutant. I said that. Where is the Hulk? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I wanted to read this. Are you okay with me reading this, John? The beginning, you mean? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Has Joey read it? Uh, no. He is not. He's not okay. allowed to read emails. Okay. <laughs> Um, since he doesn't read the face, if he reads Facebook, then I'll start letting him uh, read your the, filthy the emails. <laughs> <laughs> you and I both know that that's not going to happen. <laughs> well, let's see what. Let's try it. Let's try. If I start reading Facebook, I'm I'm calling your bluff on this one. <laughs> you have to how, faithfully. How many times a day do I have to check Facebook? You have to just make sure you have participated in what postings have gone up. Okay, and, uh, and then so I I'll need to comment able- once on every post. Uh, no, no, because I don't bother to comment on things. I don't even like everything that gets posted up. (laughs) That would prove that you read it, kind of, (laughs) kind of, in quotes, prove that you read it. (laughs) Your comments are all, I read this. (laughs) 
Um, but the, I mean, the real reason you weren't allowed to read email is yes. because of the Battlestar Galactica the spoilers. Yeah. Um, so John starts out. I haven't heard you say what's coming up for upcoming shows lately. I have a couple of shows that I think will be a perfect fit, even if you don't think so. Curiously, you stayed away from animated shows. Perhaps a new rating category is in order. Uh, now, before we jump into these, uh-huh. I just want to say we have. The only problem is our idea probably isn't going to be ready by the time yeah. you were done, which is we wanted to do the Sherlock season, season three. three. Um, yeah, which, well, and that's fine. That's three shows. That's that's yeah. negligible. So Right. That's true. But that was our hope as that would be ready for us. It's clearly not going to be. Um and I've got a couple of ideas for sci-fi shows that I'd like to do, but we need to do we need a drama, and mm-hmm. I we just haven't really thought of a drama that we could do, so we're not really sure what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I read through some of this excellent suggestions. Thank you. Okay, so we'll start. Futurama. This show is really what the sci-fi rating is made for. The series pretty much uh, rectally probes every sci-fi trope out there and spins it hilariously. Certain sci-fi practices are called out and explored, while many others are mixed together in ways not thought possible. The Futurama universe would be completely unbelievable were it not a satirical comedy. And while it is somewhat of a satire of all things sci-fi, I hesitate to use satire to describe it, since it expresses so much love toward the genre at the same time. The show works as a standard sitcom, but its relation and references to specific sci-fi ideas and stories goes far deeper than the sci-fi layman would perceive. Watching with the creator's commentaries is a hilarious and fascinating listen. Also... Funny. Yeah. He, he said that in all caps. Yeah, all I, had caps to, yeah. I had to go loud on that. Call it him, is yeah. funny. Yeah. It is. It's very, very funny. What you've seen, right? You've seen like a few? I think I've seen the entire first season and a few episodes into the second season. Oh, really? I didn't realize. Uh, I uh, I don't I don't want to marathon it. I just, every once in a while, I'll uh-huh. slip in an episode of Futurama. So I've just, you know, here and there, I've, I've managed to watch one entire season. And it, it's somewhere in the it's weird because it even, I love the 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 shows but there's always that one character such as amy mm-hmm. amy wong or leela if it's one of those if it's a heavy leela or amy episode i'm like nah, <laughs> not interested i like the episodes that are amy focused that have her parents in them because her parents are hilarious <laughs> yeah I, I get a big kick out of those characters yeah no they're great the, the side characters in future um Zap Brannigan is probably my <laughs> is probably funny. my favorite character. And like, what's his What's his uh, little green Kiff? Kiff. He is probably my favorite character. He, yeah. That man is hilarious. Yeah. No, but there there are some good good folks that show up. Yeah. The the uh, um what's it the waterfall family like? There's like one in every season, and it's, they're all voiced by Phil Hendry. Um, they're really good. Uh, who uh, the robot devil? I love. Okay, sorry, you got me talking. <laughs> And it wouldn't be too much of an investment because it's only like what five seasons, and they're some of them are pretty short. Yeah, right? it, the seasons they kind of they they're weird because they're, there's also movies yeah, interspersed in the between movies, when they got canceled. Yeah, yeah, the the movies is like considered like the sixth season, I think. Or oh, okay. Something I think maybe the fifth season is the movies, and then the reboot on Comedy Central is like the sixth season, and so and it's still going right. 
No. Uh, oh yeah, it just barely finished, huh? It's yeah, done. that, that okay. was the last one that we watched. Yeah, it's totally done. Yeah, okay, for yeah. I thought it was a decent ending. Yeah, I was, it was nice. Yeah, it it, it wasn't it was great. Nice. It was nice. It, yeah, uh, but and the the last few seasons, uh, especially. You know, when they, they specifically take on, like, Apple products and stuff. It, <laughs> it's a little bit more relevant to now because when it started from when it started in 1999, but it, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm more excited about this next one. Cowboy Bebop. I'm not a fan of anime at all. I found it very hard to get into, and some of its animation practices are terribly annoying. But... Cowboy Bebop, the anime, is one of my very favorite shows ever. Maybe it was the music that locked me in. The show's music director, I think her name is Yoko Kano, switches musical styles constantly and is all over the map from episode to episode. From 70s style jazz to country western to heavy metal. The devotion to music is emphasized by each episode title being named after a dance musical style or a classic rock song, usually from the Rolling Stones. I feel the plot is a combination of an episodic serial structure done right. Most episodes stand alone and are on the surface about three and a half bounty hunters scouring the solar system in search of both criminals and food. As the show goes on, delicate hints are revealed about each of their past before they become members of the Bebop crew. By the end, we get a clearer picture of the show's somewhat hero, Spike Spiegel, mm, yeah. along with his troubled past, loves, motivation, and general wicked coolness factor, albeit with a bit of discussion-worthy vagueness overall, over the course of a non-traditional story arc. Jet Black, Faye Valentine, and Ed are pretty cool cats too in their own way. Each episode is lovingly different from the one before, ranging from silly to dramatic to bright to deeply noirish. It also makes interesting choices in direction, timing, and visuals that I don't see anywhere else on television. It does still employ some anime practices that I find a little annoying, but even those are worth discussing. Here's the best part, though. The whole story takes place over 26 half-hour episodes. You can cruise through the whole series in a couple of months. Uh, now, I've never watched Cowboy oh, Bebop. You're missing out, Pete. Yeah, I, I'm, I know. I've heard from not just John, but a few others of my friends who uh, who like the, the series. And um, I, I, don't, I don't hate anime like John does. I actually <laughs> think it's okay. Um, and I, I, it's. I think it's a possibility, although it may fit into the sci-fi. Yeah, it's very realm. much in the sci-fi realm. Um, so maybe we can't use it as the next one, but I definitely mm -hmm. think it's it's one we should consider. Agreed. And with it only being one season, like that's it. Um, it seems mm -hmm. like a good choice for us. Yeah, it's a nice like reprieve. And I didn't even think of this. And it's by the way, it's really. I didn't expect to be here. Um, like sitting here while my emails are being read. I, I don't you I, like <laughs> the the smooth voice that uh, I think is John Madsen? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I like sent that off this morning. I'm like, I'll probably be gone tonight. You know, whatever they'll they'll be recording. Um, so it is a little bit awkward to be discussing this very email. <laughs> but um, like one thing that you guys mentioned that I didn't even realize, and which I knew, which I should have realized, is that 
that you hadn't seen it, but Joey has, which is the opposite of mm. what you're doing now. Sure. Um, it, it would be nice for like some, if not this one, then some show in the future where you kind of have that reverse dynamic that you've been doing for Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Here's the only problem with that. I have no problem care. being yes. surprised. I was gonna, I was I'm exactly more than I was happy to go along with the ride. Like, oh, that was neat. Well, let's see what's going to happen next. This is fun. Well, I think it's not neurotic <laughs> enough for that to be entertaining for our listeners. Maybe I'm alone here, but I don't think the entertainment value is so much in the emotional aspect of it, but the perspective of one person who knows and one gotcha. person who okay. doesn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think actually. John Cowboy Bebop is one of the few things that you and I agree on. <laughs> I know that that's weird. Yeah. We, we we disagree on so many other things, but I know. well, you Cowboy know. Bebop and that the Battlestar Galactica writers didn't know what they were yeah. doing. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Although now that you say that, I'm kind of reconsidering my stance on Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Um, okay, so we did have two people who wrote in and gave us top five lists. One of them is John. The other is Fishhead. Um, okay. And so, John, I don't necessarily have to read this. <laughs> you can certainly share your list, or if you would prefer, I can hand you the iPad. You can read it yourself. Uh, I don't want to bother to reach over. Go ahead. Okay, so yeah. uh, let me let me read John's top five. Um, had to chime in on this one, but this is just today's list. <laughs> Ask me tomorrow, and I'll give you five different mutants. Now, you didn't number these. Was that intentional? Uh, it, it was. I was going to just write them all out and then reorder them, but I'm like, oh, this will be fine. You, you, can, you can do five through four. They're all interchangeable. That's fine. Five through four. Five through one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that four came from. Yeah, sorry. Number five, Magneto. Maybe a bit obvious, but a special kudos goes to Magneto's, the only mutant I've ever dressed up as for Halloween. <laughs> His power seems okay at first, but becomes more amazing the more we see it in action. Stopping the blood's iron flow? Pretty cool. The power isn't what's interesting in him about him, though. It's his ideals. His love for his fellow mutants is what makes him dangerous and warped. If nothing else, his presence sparks the debate of how far one must go to fulfill what he believes in. Number four, Nightcrawler. He sports probably my favorite mutant design. Dark blue with a tail, weird hands, and feet, and a demon's face. Here's a guy who can't just blend in with humanity. I also love that he turned the tables on his demonic look and has a devout faith in Christ. It makes for fun and friendly conversations with his atheist pal, Colossus. Number three, Mimic. This guy is sort of lame, honestly. He was introduced in the, 19, in the 60s, and his personality is just a non-interesting superficial jerk. I'm only including him because his power is pretty cool. He has the mutant abilities of any mutant nearby. Maybe it's too powerful to be interesting, which is why we never see him. Number two, Doug Ramsey. Now, I haven't even heard of this guy before. There's a reason. Okay. <laughs> a blonde kid from upstate New York with an ability to immediately translate languages. Mormons take interest. Apparently, when he joined Xavier's New Mutants, he was consistently trashed by the comics readers to the point where he was killed off. I liked that kid, though. 
Somehow he was written as down to earth and helpful without a dorky aw shucks attitude. As the inheritor of the universe's lamest mutant power, <laughs> Chris Claremont and Louise Simonson found great ways to evolve the power. Doug strangely became a hit with the ladies, particularly because of his ability to communicate perfectly. And this was handled very organically and not just throwing the character a bone. His reading of body language enabled him to take the Hellfire Clubhouse at poker and much later become a very skilled fighter because of his ability to read opponents. Power-ups aside, his lack of power forced him to become an interesting and relatable character even though his body wasn't an invincible living gun. Number one, Kitty Pride. I guess I should have a girl on my list. Here she is. She was really scared and young when she was introduced, but now she's funny, powerful, sassy, and legally hot. <laughs> I can't uh, wait to hear everybody else's because I know everyone's going to come up with one. I'm like, oh, that should have been on my list. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should we do fish heads here? Yeah. All right. He says number five. Cypher. Nah. <laughs> Sorry, that's Doug Ramsey. So. Okay. Yeah. The understanding of languages, including programming, is a powerful yet underappreciated ability. He was underutilized and then killed off much too soon. In the Ultimate Universe, years after his death in the regular Marvel, comic, uh, Marvel Universe, he was patterned in appearance and personality after Ken Jennings. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's Did kind not of funny. know that. It's kind of weird. And the, the reason I, I, I do find it interesting, there's always like some kind of weird Mormon connection with him just because he's a, like he started out as a kid from upstate New York who translates languages, which uh-huh. is just very, yeah. I yeah. Don't know. You know, I, I didn't recognize him by the name Doug Ramsey, but I totally recognize Cypher. So oh, really? Yeah. I, I usually don't hear him called Cypher, so that's okay. why I called him by his name. Yeah. Okay. Number four, Magic slash Darkchild. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah. I, she would have been on my list. Who wouldn't want to be able to teleport through time and space without a TARDIS? Plus, she was raised for several years by a demon in limbo, and she was, not sure where things stand currently, constantly fighting her way to, uh, fighting to keep her demonic dark side from overpowering her. Number three, Kitty Pride. With a similar power of phasing, she has never been one of the major solo fighters of the team. But she, but her abilities are great assets as part of the team, especially on the defensive and intel gathering. I started reading X-Men just after she joined, so her introduction to the X-Universe was also mine, and we have grown up together. Everything that I have read since shows she is still about the only stable and realistically characterized people in this universe. Number two, Magneto. Initially just a really, really, really powerful fanatic for mutants, his methods were the flip side of Professor X. In Uncanny X-Men 161, 1982, his history was retconned to make him a World War II concentration camp survivor, opening up all kinds of potential for layers to his character and his story. Number one, Nightcrawler. 
I'm so glad you read my list first. Yeah. <laughs> totally looks like he copied me. <laughs> Teleporting and wall climbing, plus acrobatic and sword fighting abilities. He embodied the dichotomy of mutants being strange and frightening in appearance, but a regular, normal guy underneath. Also, he is one of the few characters in the Marvel Universe that believes, lives, and practices his religion, Catholic, in spite of the oppressiveness and comicness of the Marvel Universe. P.S. You and Joey should read this article. Um, I thought the author's perspective on Jean-Luc and Q's role in the development of his character was pretty interesting. Uh, Dean, I did read half of it. Uh, I have yet to finish the uh, the rest of the article, no, but it did seem pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, he included it here in the email. I'm saying you should send it to me. I'd like to read the article. Um, yeah, that... It's in the email, Joey. Don't you read those? Yeah. <laughs> we should really post that up because I think a lot of other people would really actually enjoy okay. that. So... Um, we'll we'll have to do that. Um, By the way, that list. It, I don't know why I didn't think of um, magic of magic, but she would have made my list. I, I would have cut someone else. So pretty much my list is his list. I think that's a that's an awesome list. Okay, cool. Uh, you, me, who wants to go? I can go. Give you your, go. Give your voice a break there. Okay. Uh, my number five is Colossus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always liked the concept of the the organic metal. I, I just thought that as a kid, mm-hmm. it was such a cool idea that he, you know, he had all the advantages of metal, but none of the disadvantages. <laughs> uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, my number four is Shadowcat or Kitty Pride, as as mm-hmm. some of you have called her. I, I think we've heard enough about her, but she you don't call fantastic. her Sprite. I don't call her Sprite. Okay. I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number three is Magneto. Uh, I actually really liked Magneto when he was the leader of the X Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed that stretch of the X-Men comic. My number two is Rogue. Look, invulnerability is the best superpower. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. Being physically invulnerable opens up so many fantastic doors for you. <laughs> uh, and my number one is Professor X. Uh, I do want to mention, I, I don't know if you guys are both keeping up on comics right now. I'm not keeping up on the Marvel Universe. I did discover that they recently made Iceman an Omega-level mutant in the Marvel Universe, which means his powers are, like, so, you know, over the top that he could do basically anything he wants. And some examples that I that I was hearing was uh, Iceman can actually control your blood, the blood flow through your body, because it's just it's just water. And he has now control over all forms of water, whether frozen or not or... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm like, wow, who who isn't going to get a level up to Omega at this point? <laughs> I mean, if they've gotten all the way down to to Bobby. <laughs> well, it's kind of if if you really some of these like writers, um, if they really just narrow down, like, what exactly can someone do with this power? If they have complete control of temperature, for example. Like, just how powerful that person can be. And, like, if you really just brainstorm, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, no wonder this doesn't exist in real life because <laughs> <laughs> this is just way too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. My list, uh, some similarities, I'm sure. Number five is Rogue. And I'm only giving this to her uh, because of the 90s cartoon. <laughs> and she epitomizes what is the... Um, unnatural beauty of what we expect women to be you know the perfect curves she's 
all she ever wears is pure spandex yep. that hugs every form on her body. No, nothing wrong with that. Painted um, spandex. Yes. And but aside from that, it is a really cool power to be able to, you know, suck other people's powers away. And on top of that, she can fly, she's super strong, and she doesn't seem to really, you know, get beat up that much. Yeah, she's physically invulnerable. Yeah, uh, that's just so cool. Hey, don't forget about the curse. Like, that she yes. can't touch people. Yeah, that's another that's, interesting thing. That's true. That does make the character more balance. well-rounded so that you can do more with uh, with her uh, from a, uh, you know, uh, talking uh, sense. Number four, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do a little switch here. I'm going to go with Magneto. Magneto is very, very cool. I like that he, he seems the most interesting because he's seen, I, I know Professor X thinks a lot, but it seems as though Magneto thinks, but also schemes. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much to, I mean, the, the diabolical evil villain, sure, but He's not a one-note kind yeah. of villain. He's not there true is, in the scenery. There is so much more to to him that I really like. Number three is going to go to Apocalypse. Now, I don't know if you guys would consider him a mutant or not. Uh, I know he doesn't consider him a mutant um, because he um, is so ridiculously powerful. But I don't care. Like, that, that character... I love the backstory. I mean, they, they, I don't know if he's going back in time or not, or if he legitimately was around during the time of the Egyptians, you know, the little bits and pieces that I do know about him just scream, holy crap. Awesome. In official Marvel canon, he is a mutant. Okay. I, theoretically, I think they call him the first mutant yes. possibly. Really? The first mutant. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And then just over the years, he's just continued to grow more and more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, number two is going to go to Colossus. Um, I think I was first introduced to him because of the arcade yeah. game. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I just remember always wanting to choose him because his power just like, he goes, Rrr! and yeah. like everything that else is just yeah. like destroying, <laughs> yeah. dies around him. Um, and he's made out of metal. He's massive. Um, we share the similar name. Um, <laughs> Peter? Colossus. It, it is so, so cool. <laughs> Colossus that character. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually my middle name, Peter Colossus Nash. That's pretty cool. Well, Pete, what did you, uh, when you did more research after you played that arcade game, were you kind of let down that that... Is it actually like, part of his thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm aware of that. It's fine. Uh, he's still made out of metal and can mm-hmm. beat the crud out of anything. Yeah. I, I liked when he actually... This may be the only thing I liked about X-Men 2. Um, or was it 3 that it he two. showed up in? Yeah. I was like, oh, cool, there's Colossus. And he quickly left the scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was about the only thing I really yeah. liked. Um, so number one is going to go to Wolverine. I'm surprised he wasn't on your guys' list or anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't identify with him, but I, I just want to be him. Mm-hmm. He's just so cool, and he's got that uh, I'm tough exterior. No one can get close to me and love me. And, oh, I pine for this woman so much <laughs> that I will never have her. You know, I, I identify in so many different ways, and uh, it's it's such a cool character. I really considered Wolverine, like, he's always been like it, it's kind of uh, for a lot of like comics fans i know like nowadays a lot of people are kind of sick of having him around uh he's a bit overplayed in the universe he pops up everywhere and he just kind of is always 
you know, and and he's becoming more and more invincible. Like you, he can't be killed or hurt at all. Like um, pretty much, he'll if you cut him up into goo, he grows back together. So it's like, <laughs> um, and so a lot of people are kind of a little sick of him. But I'll always have a special place in my heart because, uh, like when I first started collecting comics, it wasn't like X Men comics or anything. It was actually like Transformers comics back in the way back in the day, and. I remember like seeing some of the Marvel advertisements and just kind of just seeing the image of Wolverine. This just just this really kind of scary looking guy with the claws. Uh-huh. It was just the claws that just like um that kind of just got me interested in it. And like he was the first one I liked, but um yeah, almost made my list. My my older brother liked Wolverine and therefore I don't like Wolverine. <laughs> One of those. It's a situations. great familial bond that you have there. <laughs> so I guess this means that Magneto is the greatest mutant. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah. he's made all of our lists. Made, so. uh, made four lists, I think. Um, okay. Uh, Joey's Culture Corner. Yeah, so uh, at Pete's recommendation, I finally watched the movie The Crudes with my family. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, enjoyed it, actually, a lot more than I thought I would. Uh and I'm glad you recommended it because I, from the commercials, I thought I have zero interest in mm-hmm. this in this movie. It starts out weird, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. And it it doesn't really carry into what the rest of the movie is. <laughs> yeah. Like it really is this weird kind of beginning. Um, I you know the the thing that I probably as you predicted, Pete enjoyed the most was the evolution of the father daughter relationship mm-hmm. over the course of the movie, and. What made it even more fantastic is at the point where the dad has to pick up his daughter and throw her across the chasm and never knows if he's going to see her again. My daughter gets up and crosses the room and comes and curls up in my lap, <laughs> puts her arms around my neck, kisses me on the cheek and says, I love you, daddy. <laughs> I just felt like king of the world in that moment. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> So I I enjoyed the movie, uh, like I said, a lot more than I thought I would from the advertisements. Uh, I give it a thumb up. Yeah, John, did you see the Crudes? No, I never saw the Crudes. Maybe I'll have to now. Yeah, it, it's a fun it's movie. Fun. Um, it, it has Nicolas Cage in it, which thankfully it's only his voice, <laughs> um, and uh, you know he plays still the the weird one note Nicolas Cage, which is brainless. Um, at least apparently that's the only kind I seem to enjoy of Nicolas Cage. But in this case, it's it's appropriate. It is because it's he's playing much. a caveman who does not have an advanced you know brain. It hasn't evolved yet. Yeah, um, I really was after watching it put off by the way the movie starts because it's not this fun little thing which is like I'd say eighty five to ninety percent of the movie. It's this weird thing like r- they're ridiculously fast. And yes. they're chasing down these animals and trying to you, eat their eggs. Yeah. And they're, you know, almost nearly physically invincible, the, the the crashes that they take and, you know, getting beat up. And then it turns into this really sweet family movie yeah. that is just dynamic. And if you haven't seen it, you, you ought to take the time to. Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episodes three through four of Battlestar Galactica season four. We'll start with episode three, The Ties That Bind. The Cylon Civil War begins in earnest, and Lee begins his term on the Quorum of Twelve. Um, okay, so we have the Cylon fleet, 
appears to be split down the middle. And, uh, you know, what what's going to be happening here? And, you know, it's ramping up the uh the the intrigue within the the Cylon population. And on top of that we have Callie who is not coping well. Um nope. and and her coping mechanism uh really seems to be drugs um <laughs> and uh irrational thought um which uh, seems poor uh especially when you have a baby and uh a marriage to a Cylon husband. Um, but she doesn't know all of that, uh, yet. Um, anyway, this epitomizes, like when I watched this the first time, I was like, oh, I cannot stand her. Really do not like Callie? her. Yes. Really? Um, well, it's after season two, Callie, which is the annoying nag okay. Callie, uh, because that's all she does is nag, 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 nag. I, I felt a lot of empathy for her. Okay. Um, we also uh, find out that uh, Tori seems to be a bit uh, unstable. She's not handling things super well. She went evil. Like, devious <laughs> and evil. Yeah. All of a sudden. <laughs> and uh, that's that's going to be bad. I, I think it was probably the crying during sex that did that to her. <laughs> Well, it it was no, it was it was probably uh Gaius's healing of her <laughs> of from that event that really turned her into a bizarro lady. Um anyway, so uh one of the nice cute things is that Adama comes and reads to Rosalind during her treatments. Um and so it, it's it just continues to show that relationship of, of care and respect that Adama has towards Rosalind, uh, and that I'm sure reciprocates as well. You know, uh, there's, there's at the beginning of the episode, there's a moment where we find out for sure something that we kind of suspected, I think, before, which is that Cavill and uh, Boomer 8 are sleeping together, or they're at least in some kind of romantic, physical relationship. Uh, and as soon as Cavill and the eight kiss, my wife says, that poor actress, she has had to kiss just about everyone on this show. <laughs> Lucky her. Oh, wouldn't yeah. I? Would I just thought it was a, a give great, to make out with Cavill. A great perspective that, uh, you know, I I hadn't considered, but my, it was my wife's immediate reaction to having her. <laughs> that poor woman, she has to kiss Dean Stockton. <laughs> Stockwell. Stockwell. Thank you. Um, Apollo is appointed to the quorum. We had, uh, I was confused last uh, time we recorded, uh, you thought that he was going to get appointed to the quorum, take the place of Zarek, but I don't think that's accurate because yeah. he officially is taking the role of, um, Caprica. Um, that's, that's the chair he's going to be filling, but he's on, he's now officially on the quorum and, uh, things are still a little dicey. I mean, he's, uh, um, he's introduced, um, but, uh, it's clear that Rosalind isn't really going to, you know, be friendly with him. She still doesn't really like, uh, that he's there. Uh, we cut away and we have Starbuck looking yeah. for earth. So I, I'm just going to go ahead and say right now, I have nothing to say about what's going on aboard the Demetrius. 
I'm sure it's going to be important to the story. I'm sure it's it's fantastic mythology and plot development that's going on. But my inability to process what Kara is <laughs> makes it impossible for me to commit to the character emotionally enough to be interested in this storyline. Okay. What about the, I mean, forget about Starbuck. What about the rest of the characters, though? I, I, they're, they're all tainted by association with oh Starbucks. Oh, my gosh. I just I can't care about her story, <laughs> and they're all just extras in her story right now. Well, the crew isn't happy uh, because they've been out there for a long time, a few weeks, and it seems as though they've been back and forth, back and forth, here and there, and She's recovering like old yeah. areas a, a few times. And that does not sit well with them because there's no real clear leadership seems as though she's shut herself off into her own little office as she's tried to figure out where this is uh where where things uh where she should go next um she appears tyrannical yeah um it's you know the rule with the iron fist not just tyrannical a little crazy <laughs> well it, it it is starbucks so it there's always going to be a level of crazy there um anyway it's not a very pleasant place to be and it seems odd i i don't know it, it's clear anders you know uh volunteered for this but the rest of the people not really sure how much of them volunteered yeah. Seemed like this was like Gata. Gata does not think much of Starbuck. He does not want to be there at all, um, as well as the other people that, that yeah, wasn't are there. Yeah, wasn't Celix there? And she was kind of complaining about the situation. Yeah, probably. Um. Anyway, moving on. The we we come back to the Cylons again, and they want to, uh, or I should say, the Sixes. Uh, say that they want to unite the 12 models once and for all. Yeah. And like, the looks Yes. Let, let's, get ev- let's get us all back together. That means bring back to life Deanna. Right. L- let's get that model out of, out of stasis. Let's, it, we need to be together as a unit whole. Um, and so there's going to be this um, discussion back and forth between the two factions. Quote, sometimes a benevolent tyrant is all you need, close quote. Uh, this is Lee when he is first coming into the quorum and he's there talking to Zarek. Um, and Zarek's basically saying, yeah, yeah, Rosalind isn't going to be your best friend here. Yeah. And she's not exactly, you know, working for the will of the people. She's working for her own will. You know, she has her own plan and it's got to be her way. And why is no one questioning her on these things that she is doing? And I think Lee, I don't know uh, if he, you know, believes this statement or not. I want to, I can't remember the episode well enough. I I think he's maybe kind of saying it in jest. Um, I I really don't remember how he does it. But the idea of a benevolent tyrant um, is interesting because a tyrant is, you know, not a good person, but a benevolent person that is a good thing. So what, you know, the combination of the two, it almost seems like, yeah, someone who's going to make you do um, whatever they say, but it's going to lead to something good. Doesn't that kind of seem like a good thing? <laughs> the nanny state. <laughs> um, and that's great. That works. But the only problem is it can turn so fast 
into just a tyrant. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not good at all. You know, the really interesting thing is that just after watching this episode, I started listening to a podcast called The History of Rome. And it's where this guy has, has just gone through the history of Rome and he's broken it down into about 20 minute episodes where he just kind of, so in the first, I'm, I'm only about 15, I think podcasts in, in the first few, he says, look, uh, you know, I think a lot of this, it's probably mythology. There's probably not a lot of truth here. Uh, I doubt that Romulus and Remus were actually suckled by a <laughs> she-wolf. Uh, but it's the best information that we have. All we can do is tell our, tell you the stories that the Romans told themselves. Anyway, in the, in the course of this podcast, I discovered that it was something I didn't know. I, I haven't paid that much attention to Roman history before. The office of dictator in Roman politics. This was a constitutional office that you were called to be the dictator when Rome was in dire straits. They would they would all get together and they'd vote. They'd say, okay, here's the guy who's our dictator. And it's the only time in Roman politics where one guy had all the authority. He had all the executive authority, all the legislative authority, all the judicial authority. He could do whatever he wanted for six months. <laughs> six months. <laughs> And, well, you know, back then that was plenty of time to win or lose a war, right? Okay. <laughs> and, and the interesting thing is that almost without fail, every single one of these dictators willingly gave up that power at the end of six months. And, you know, now when we use the word dictator, it has such a negative connotation to it. <laughs> but for the Romans, these guys were actually incredibly successful at what they were, you know, on the whole and what they were asked to do. They were put into power. They were given all authority for six months. They got Rome out of whatever trouble it was in. And then they went back to whatever they were doing before. Uh, and, the, you know, the great example of that, of course, is Cincinnatus, what they uh, they used to call George Washington, the American Cincinnatus. Uh, but it's just interesting because this concept of a benevolent dictator or a benevolent tyrant is not that foreign to us as humanity if we actually look at our own past. You know, we, we've had that and it has been successful at times. I, I welcome a, you know, single leader that, you know, dictates and says, you know, look, this is here, what we're going to do. Um, I welcome that only if. Their aims are virtuous. Uh, the way in which they do things is moral. Um, and the trouble is, most of humanity isn't virtuous or moral. <laughs> um, and really, the the only one person I look forward to is, you know, my, my Savior Jesus coming along and him, you know, taking control of the entire world and, you know, we welcome our King and Lord back. Um I don't get a close second. Uh, uh, other people really <laughs> not that excited about uh, you know taking uh, supreme control and becoming a you know dictator, even if it is in the the good sense of the of the word. Um, anyway, okay. Note to self: Pete must go in the first purge. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, uh, I, I wanted before we get off of that topic, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about: Zarek's response. To okay. Lee, which is she is not a tyrant. She's not she's not a benevolent tyrant. He said she's something even worse. She wants to save us all. <laughs> and I thought that was very interesting. The negative connotation that that had for uh -huh. Zarek, because, you know, it, it kind of gives us this implication that he is 
maybe not necessarily atheistic, but he's not a believer. He doesn't buy into the propaganda, the scrolls of Pythia and all these other things that are going on. And, and he sees because he's not, you know, pulled into that experience. He all he sees is the danger of politics and religion being tied so closely together like that. And I just thought it was very interesting that, you know, it was an aspect of the Zarek character that we hadn't really seen before. We we have to remember that, the uh, at least for me, the character of Zarek is still, at all times, excruciatingly dangerous. Yeah. Uh, even when he's agreeing with Roslyn, I question his motives at, at all times. Um, but I also question Rosalind's motives now, so... Eh. What are you going to do? Speaking of motives, he then hands a classified document over to uh, uh, Apollo. And so I wanted to pose the question. If you're Apollo, do you open up that classified document? No. And I, I think that's the right. That's the moral decision. That's the correct moral not, not, decision to you, make. You take moral morality out of it entirely. You still have to say no, because all you can do at that point is damage to your own political career. I okay. I can kind of see that, but I'm gonna turn it the the light a little differently. What if let's call Zarek the whistleblower? He's he's found something that only a few people are are privy to. He feels that it is wrong and does not want this to happen or go through. And so he's taking what means he has to bring it to light, even though they may be potentially illegal. So I don't know enough about galactica culture, the culture of, of you know these these people, to speak definitively of whether or not this would be right in their cultural environment. But in ours, that is the role of the fourth estate. You take it to the press. You do not take it to another member of the government who would perjure and destroy his own career in the process of trying to bring this thing to light. That is why we have that fourth estate. It's exactly what it's meant to do and why we gave it the power we did and why it's so supreme in our Bill of Rights. Okay. Fair enough. Um, okay. Starbuck uh, continues to be charming. Um, unboxing Deanna Executive Order 112, which is what was in the document. Um, Executive Order 112 doesn't seem like a good idea. And <laughs> Roslyn has to kind of... I don't know if backpedal is the right word here, (laughs) but she basically has to say, look, that's not finished yet. That's an unfinished document. We've been, you know, going through and discussing it, which is why it has not come to the light of day. I don't even remember what the thing was. Yeah, I don't either. I just Um, remember thinking, oh, that's it. That's power gone awry right there. (laughs) Yes. If, you know, taken out of context... Um, And if it were an actual official executive order, then, yeah, everybody better have problems with that because I remember it not being positive either. Uh, But still, 
Apollo is still he's be he's continuing to play the the thorn in the side role, whether it be to his father or to Rosalind. He is continuing, I guess, with what is supposed to be his character trait, the gadfly, doing what he thinks is best. Um, and uh, I I guess we can look to that as kind of a positive, but still pretty annoying. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a couple of moments uh, in between those two scenes that we just talked about. Between Doc Cottle and Callie, which I thought were pretty fantastic. Of course, Doc okay. Cottle gets all the great lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll just turn my sick bay into an opium dem so you can have a snooze. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, uh, fatigue and antidepressants can make for a great paranoia cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> just thought those were both pretty good lines that he had in there. and uh, And then... Growing up in the environment I did, this line really struck me probably a lot more than it would most people. This is from Callie. Her response to Doc Cottle's question of, well, is Tyrrell beating you? She says, I wish he would beat me. At least then I'd know he has some feelings about me. Mm. I'm going to go ahead and say, Callie, no, you don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I like I, I appreciate the sentiment being expressed there, but that is such a destructive, long-term poison to have in a relationship. There's no way that I, I just that line just kind of turned my stomach a little bit. This and the next episode really delve into the only way to feel is to get the snot beat out of you. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of thing. We'll we'll get into tie in a minute, but yeah, I mean that that's that is probably the very definition of destructive um yeah. uh, about yourself and you know that that should have been a red flag um for Cottle to do something. Maybe say, "Okay, I think we're done with the drugs now." Um or, or at least prescribe a different, a different one. Drug. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so we have the Cylon versus Cylon attack. They they say, hey, all right, fine. Let's go here. Let's go to this one location. We will download um, this person here. Uh, the, download the Deanna. Everything will be fine. We'll get back on track. Turns out it's a trap. Um, the uh, um, It's a trap. It's a t- <laughs> Thank you for that meme. <laughs> Um, anyway, it, it was, uh, um, I'm blanking on his name now, Stockwell's character, Cavill, Cavill. Um, has orchestrated this trap to to get rid of this uh, this set of Cylons who is causing trouble for him. Um, and I don't remember a resolution to this. I just remember a bunch of Cylon ships started get blowing up and then cut away. Yeah, it appears as though perhaps Caprica 6 is dead. Yeah. So we move on from here. Callie follows Tyrrell and finds out that he is a Cylon. Yeah, did you and, notice where they go to meet? By the way, uh, it's in that. Uh, it's in the the uh, the it's armament. A, it's in the weapons locker. Yeah. Did you notice the call sign of the we- of the weapons locker? Seventeen oh one. Yes, one seven oh one D. Yeah, uh, gave me a great chuckle. Like I started laughing. And my wife is like, what is so funny? And I'm like, okay, let me pause this because it's going to take me a minute to explain <laughs> why that's funny. And even after I explained it, she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, come on, that is hilarious. It's not a joke for her. Yes. It's the call sign of the NCC, of the, of the Enterprise D, 
the uh, the model in the next generation. Yeah. NCC one seven zero one D. Uh, let's see here. Callie. Okay. Um, and she <laughs> gets back. I had her, a lot of issues with this scene. Yeah. The, the next set of scenes are just, they happen so fast and I like the camera work that's done. I mean, okay. the, the, it helps to drive home the chaotic feeling of what is going on that Callie was feeling. And Tyrrell finally shows up. She grabs a massive wrench, pummels him over the head a few times, and grabs the baby and runs out. Yeah. We next see her show up inside the bay. Okay. Before that, uh, the scene where she's spying on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was really bothered by the fact that neither of the military men who know Battlestar Galactica inside out noticed this misplaced panel out in the hallway, but... Evil, what's her name? Tori. <laughs> Tori. I wanted to say Tara. I knew that was wrong. Evil Evil Tori somehow notices it and starts to put two and two together right away. I thought that was poorly done. Okay. Um, so the uh, she's in the hangar bay. Um, she's... Well, okay, the the weirdest part for this episode for me is she's inside the tube that launches the, the fighters out. Inside that tube is a window. Why is there a window? Well, we've seen that window before. That's where the so in behind that window is if I'm ta- if we're talking about the same window. No, the window looking out into space, not oh, the window okay. of see. the controls yeah, where they launch the things. I guess so they can make sure that there's no debris that they're launching someone right into debris or no. something. No. <laughs> it's I a small know. window. <laughs> I don't know. No one's looking outside that. So one, why is there a window in that tube at all? Okay. There it logistically does not seem like there is. Number 2, why it doesn't make sense that there would be something because there's got to be the next tube next to it and does that tube not extend out super far or does this tube extend out from the ship at an odd way yeah it didn't work for me i know they're using it for her to look out longingly into space or something but if they're going to do that do it in another place if that is if that thought is so interesting do it in another place where the where the window would be more logically placed okay anyway she's in the tube she's contemplating um you know killing herself she's got the keys she's gonna she's you know turned off the safety she's gonna space her and And the the baby baby because it's a cylon it's a cylon and so for her it's her own child but yet it's this thing that she has hated and that her entire has you know destroyed her entire civilization the the agony and pain that she must be feeling it is terribly confusing for her which is why she's so upset i would imagine um tori shows up <laughs> and uh things go downhill Tori speaks soothing words to her, and uh, she takes the kid, punches, almost back. I think it's backhand. She backhands. She does backhand. But with this newfound strength, strength yeah. <laughs> that she has tapped into. Um, and next we find Callie waking up inside the tube. 
And we turn and see Tori is holding the baby. And spaces her. And opens up the the hatch. And out she goes. And then we have what is probably one of the cooler <laughs> endings for me. The, the way that it's completely silent. There's just the music. Um, and where, the dead body of Kelly. <laughs> well, no. Oh, okay. Tyrrell and Adama in there as he's got his head down. And Adama is there, you know, clearly consoling him or talking to him about this. Um, that was amazing um, uh, direction and uh, and production to to do that particular scene. And then the, the episode ends. Yeah. Did I miss anything you wanted to cover? Uh, yeah. Well, just just one brief thing. Um, as I mentioned, still trying to get a grip on what Kara is. My current speculation is that she's a ghost. That she's dead. <laughs> Uh, How could she be one? I don't know. I don't we, know. I thought we I passed this. Know. No, like we dispelled no, no, no. this last time well, okay. with the movie Ghost. <laughs> so he, here's the line of dialogue from this episode that put me back in the ghost camp. My body is like this alien thing. So she feels like she's controlling her body through remote control is the way she, she explains it. It's almost like I'm not even here. It's this, my body is this alien thing that I'm operating from a remote location. And you don't think that that's an indication of Cylon-ness because that's basically <laughs> what the other people were talking about as well. Tori, Tyrrell, and Ty. Um, Did they say that? Th- near enough. that they, they voiced those same types of sentiments, which, by the way, the, the, the final... Uh, I do find it interesting that Tori, Tyrrell, and Ty all have the letter T in them. I don't know. If and then Samuel Anders. <laughs> Samuel T. Anders. Middle name. Okay. So who else has a Don't name? know. Well. Don't know. I, I have, I have uh, instructions from my wife, but we have to save those to the next episode. In, instructions for your wife from my wife for the podcast okay <laughs> that's weird that you would bring it up now but okay um so anything else no okay we do have uh, an email okay from listener m he says hey joey and pete i hope this makes it in time i think you should totally work on the goal to finish this series by the end of the year you never know what you can accomplish unless you try. <laughs> uh, seems unlikely with Christmas and Thanksgiving. I don't know what's happening, Joey, with your family. I will be but, out of town for both of those. Yeah, again. Again. This is the worst family holidays hey, it's ever. The in-laws. Don't blame yeah. me. I thought you were going to put your foot down and say no more. <laughs> that worked I did. out well. Yeah, I did. And guess what? We're going to the in-laws for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. <laughs> uh, also, uh, yeah. Peter Nash Day is right around the yep, corner. Yep. Oh, I'm sad he said something. I've I've been working in secret to make this happen, but I guess it's all out in the open again. Do you have any special plans to celebrate that this year? Um, anyway, he continues, the ties that bind. Wow. This episode really ramped up the emotion to excruciating levels. I have a hard time watching Callie's final scene. How terrible for any mother to realize that her child is an enemy. You can't really blame her for wanting to end her own life as she has to kill her baby. 
Such a raw, emotional story. This is really compelling television. TV 8, Sci-Fi 9. Okay, Pete, your TV rating. I'm not as... There were compelling scenes in this, but I'm not as enthused by it. I don't think it's as good. Um, I'm only going to give this a 6 for science fiction. Uh, For science fiction, I actually gave it a 7. I think the... The experiences that we see through Callie's point of view, the camera work that they did there, uh, and as well as, as much as I don't understand it and I don't want to talk about it because I don't understand it, something's clearly going on with Kara Thrace. I, I, I gave it a seven. For television, I am not, I'm still not as enthused because it is a Callie episode, but I have to give it some props for the bit of work that they did do with her that. It turned the character into more interesting than just nag, nag, nag. Um, and then, of course, the final scene really saves us. Otherwise, I'm going to only give it a four. I will give this a six. Okay. Uh, I give it a five. Um, the Like I mentioned, I, I do empathize with Callie here. But once again, I, I liked the character of Callie. And I'm always frustrated when a show kills off a character that I like. Moving on to our next episode, Escape Velocity. Ty and Tyrrell both go off the deep end while Baltar, quote, stirs up all the crap, close quote. <laughs> Who are you quoting there? Rosalind. Ah, I see. <laughs> okay. Um, I like this episode. This is, I think, a good episode. <sighs> I liked it up until the last probably three or four minutes of it. Okay. I remember you mentioning something <laughs> about this. Um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so we have a funeral for her Callie. Yeah. And it's religious funeral, which I found odd since Tyrrell is not a very religious man. He's not fond of religion. <laughs> uh, Sorry. I just remembered his comment to Callie in the temple of the five. As he talked about. Yeah. <laughs> Dance naked with pornos in his uh, his dad's room. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, anyway, Rosalind leans over to Adam and says, "This is nice. I like this service, and I I want you to know what I like." Yeah, because he actually he makes the comment. He's like, "Yeah, this is not for me." She's like, "I know, but I want you to know what I like." Yes, because she's very much seeing what she feels is the end of her life coming very soon. Um, Ty yeah. is seeing things. He's been visiting number six. It seems like quite often. Yeah. It, yes, that's true. And it's because he goes there and he sees Ellen, which uh-huh. prompted my wife to turn to me and say, I want you to tell everyone on the podcast, Ellen Ty is the final Cylon. <laughs> okay. And I said, you know what? Great. I, I, I have no reason to argue with that. <laughs> I, I accept it 100%. So she she has made the prediction it's, it's going to be Ellen Ty. Okay. And I'm buying into that. You're buying into that. Yep. So you're off Starbuck being a Cylon. Yeah. Not a Cylon anymore. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't trust my own judgment calls anymore to the point that <laughs> my wife said Starbuck wasn't a Cylon. I said, okay, she's not a Cylon. My wife says Ellen Ty's the last Cylon. I said, okay, Ellen Ty's the last Cylon. <laughs> At this point, I will take any opinion anyone has to offer on whether Starbuck is a Cylon or not and who the last Cylon is. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so Tori and Ty present a couple of options to Tyrrell. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on what they are right now, but uh, it, it was strong enough that I, I wrote down. Uh, basically, I think they were trying to say, get on with your life or um, accept being a Cylon, which is, I think, further evidence of Tori gone crazy yeah. um, as uh, she's fully embracing this idea of being a Cylon. And not just a Cylon, but evil. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> yes. But I mean, she's there. I've got power now. I'm going to wield it. <laughs> Look out, world. Uh, the thing I thought was interesting in this scene was the baby is, is just crying and crying and crying, and Terrell cannot, cannot bring himself to care. He's just sitting there, so wrapped up in himself. And as Ty comes in, he's like, "What's wrong with the kid?" And uh, Terrell's like, "Well, you know, I haven't changed him in a while. <laughs> he probably needs to be changed." No, that's not what he says. He I says, "I can't remember how he said it." He probably needs to be changed. Okay. Uh, but the, the the all of that was not the interesting part. The interesting part to me is that then Ty proceeds to actually change the baby. He doesn't actually change the baby. He lays out a blanket. And continues the conversation. Oh, okay. Yeah. In my mind, I thought he did, but... Yeah, he he doesn't actually go that far. I think he might have, uh, but the scene um, clearly didn't carry out or call for Ty to change baby. (laughs) Um, Tori goes to Baltar. And uh, she's getting more and more forceful, even yeah, with she's him. Yeah, BDSM now. <laughs> and uh, Baltar's comment is, I think I prefer the crying, <laughs> which is <laughs> just hilarious. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, man, yeah. I... So, so while Gaius and Tori are getting up to their kinky crap, mm-hmm. someone attacks the compound. Militants. Yeah. Uh, who, the sons of Ares. Sons of Ares. Um, and uh, that's, they, they use, I think it's uh, Head Six who's saying, you know, the, the old gods die hard. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, indicating that, you know, some people haven't let go of these old gods and they find that there's this one woman who's holding on to a coin of one of the old gods. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting here that we see that even even in the height of his religious fervor, mm-hmm. guys, Baltar is still ultimately a coward. Yeah. Well, you gotta hide. You know, he's he's gonna be uh, potentially murdered. He's already had his life threatened um, uh, once, so I I think that's perfectly normal for him to to hide. Um. Then we we, uh, we to, did skip over oh. uh, Tyrrell having flashbacks as he's trying to repair. Yeah. That's uh, actually a, the next scene. A, a raptor. They, they go back and forth. Um, the uh, the raptor goes out, has some trouble, makes this terrible landing, which I don't understand how they managed <laughs> to survive. Because the way it, they came down, it looked like they were it, crushed. It pretty, yeah, it did look pretty awful. Uh, but they weren't. They they managed to survive. They're pretty upset, obviously. But Tyrrell wants them to be more angry. He wants them to rail against him. And they're like, um, all right, fine. you just lost your wife. We'll back off. Yeah, we're, we're not going to make a big fuss out of this. You know, sorry, chief. And he starts going even crazier. Like, no, I want you to yell at me. Come on. Ah. So you, you can understand where Tyrrell's coming from. I do. 
I think. Uh, you know, he saw all of this play out with Boomer and he knows exactly where that ended. And he on on some level, although he can't bring himself to say it out loud, he wants the people there in you know, in his crew to call him on this so that they will realize he's a silent. It's just self-destructive behavior because he hates himself and doesn't trust himself. He thinks I'm a silent. I was programmed to do that. I just about killed mm-hmm. people because it was because of my programming. I cannot help myself. I am a robot. Uh, when in reality, I think that had he even even had he not been a Cylon and he lost Callie, I think this scene plays out exactly the same way. I think it was simple inattention caused by his inability to process his grief and. You know, it's an accident. That's what happens when you're not paying attention and you're changing parts in intergalactic space vessels. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I got no no problems with the way you uh, you worded that. That's, uh, that's good. Um, Baltar uh, jumping back over to his storyline is the old gods die hard. He decides, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna go and cause a, a ruckus, <laughs> cl- cleanse the temple, if you will, <laughs> um, and he attacks the other religion. Yeah, he manages to get himself arrested, and there's gonna be this now religious war happening between them, um, as one can't tolerate the other. Um, we have uh, let's see here, tie and six. Uh, this is the beginning of, of their, their we're going to have a few back and forth with these guys um, as they start to talk about uh, <laughs> what really is Ty's deep seated problems uh, of not him not being able to cope with what he is. And he doesn't know how to act and how to be. And so he goes to sick to try and find some sort of explanation and how do I deal with this without giving away, yeah. you know, who he is and what he is. And also because he's seeing Ellen. I, I think that's a, a symptom. Like, that's how it's, you know, he, you know, Tyrrell is lost in this haze of what he is. Um, Anders is just wrapped up in Starbuck, which I still don't get why. Um, maybe that's his destructive nature coming <laughs> through. Um, we have Tori who is fully accepting who this is. And now we have Ty who can't handle the emotional um, ramifications of what it means to now be a Cylon when he still hates the Cylon so much and wants to be a human so badly. And it manifests um, to seeing Ellen Ty in six, which I got to say it, it works out incredibly well that the body type is so similar. Yeah. Just need a wig, and uh, suddenly the the characters are interchangeable. Um, and uh, let's see. So we this is going to happen a few times. He's going to visit her. We cut away. We go see that Rosalind visits Baltar, and she basically says, "You're free to go, but you know I'm." I'm trying to enact some laws here to protect you so that, you know, you aren't this, uh, you know, going to be in trouble. Um, we have Tyrrell and Adama, <laughs> which is a rough scene. Yeah. Tyrrell is still dealing with this. He is very against 
who Callie is. And Adama is going to try and help to bring him around and say, hell of a woman that she was. And uh, Tyrrell has nothing to do with that and says, you know, no, she was terrible. I think he quotes, uh, or his quote is, um, she like cabbage. the boiled cabbage stench of her. And he's so very, very unhappy about what he ended up having to choose and pick from. It's not what I wanted. I wanted something else. But because of all of this crap that happened, I was left with having to choose her. And Adama says, don't do this. Don't sully her memory. And he's like, no, I'm not going to try and turn her into some saint. She was just as, you know, screwed up. She had problems. Um, and he called her a shriek, I think at one point. <laughs> and, uh, he basically is, you know, this destructive nature is coming out and he's like, what, Jeff? Yeah. Get rid of me. You know, do it. Demote me. And then he finally does. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Adama's not going to take that kind of crap. Well, and, and I think again, this is Terrell on some level trying to protect Galactica from himself. He's like, look, if I get myself demoted here. I don't know that consciously that he conceived of this, but on some level, I think Tyrrell's monkey brain or lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, is coming out here and saying, you know, if I'm demoted, then I'm not in a position to make the kind of mistakes that my Cylon nature may force me to make at some point. Interesting. Um, I, You know, we you kind of skipped over the uh, Adama Rosalind thing where she's still taking her cancer treatments and he goes and he reads these novels to her. Uh, I just there was a, a little exchange in there that I really enjoyed, which was uh, Adama mentions how this book is his favorite book, but he's never finished it because he's been saving the ending. And Rosalind says, maybe I should do that. And Adama gets this look on his face like, think about what you just said. And she's like, no, you're right. That's a bad idea. <laughs> I question whether or not he's actually finished it or not. Okay. Uh, because in a, in a later scene, I don't think I have a note of this, but he's reading to her and she basically falls off to sleep. He closes the book and continues the story. Yeah. And this is right after him saying, Hey, we're getting to the part that I have not read yet. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it matters too much. Okay. Just saying maybe there's some, this is an Adama game of, of you know trying to you know provide something some yeah. level of comfort so i don't know whatever to to rosalind i'm i don't follow it completely there's also an interesting thing at the beginning of the tyrell and adama conversation where tyrell has this kind of paranoid hallucination i guess you could call it that adama is like well maybe she found out she was married to a fracking cylon and and mm-hmm. like he, he like he does a double take and adama still doesn't have his drink and you know, so, you know, obviously it was all in his head, but it just shows us kind of how far down the rabbit hole Tyrrell is right now. Yes, he's he's pretty messed up. Um, Lee is still biting at Rosalind's heels and it gets to a bigger issue of religious freedom. Basically, she is um, wanting to enact a policy that says nobody can gather together if you're <laughs> more than, you know, X number of people. And, you know, we're, we're going to have some, some military there to help protect. Um, and Lee rightly says, no, this is wrong. 
and uh, the other people start to catch the the feeling of this and they're like you know hey i know we're all mainly you know followers of the gods but we do have this other faction what do they call them the mystics or yeah i can't remember what they i, I don't i don't remember what the name of it was but this this other group and they're like hey we've got these people over here is that gonna impact them as well like how you know how does this play out you know you if you're doing it to this group right here to protect them, I mean, that easily turns into something else. And it's us controlling this other religion. And this is bad. As a, as a quorum, we do not like this. And she gets uppity and she leaves. She says, you know what? If you don't like it, fine. Debate it. Outvote it. I, you all remember what he was. Yeah. And that it helps to you know in my mind reinforce yeah okay maybe this is a bit of a tyrant ish type of person but it's the benevolent tyrant she legitimately is trying to protect the fleet from this terrible terrible man that is gaius baltar um and so i i don't feel too bad um i i mean i don't uh, think too badly of rosalind for trying to implement what we would consider you know barbaric you know that that is dictatorial to prevent people from yeah. being able to assemble. You know the freedom of assembly. It's fundamental. It's, it's right, right in there. One. <laughs> uh, that, that's actually the scene where the line comes from, where she's like, "Well, you have to admit that Baltar has an uncanny way to stir up all the crap." <laughs> <laughs> quote: Should I get used to waking up to this face? Close quote which is Ty with his face right over the top of six. And she's, I mean, rightly so, a little taken back by this. Because that's, I can't, I've never woken up like that with somebody's face, like right over the top of me. They're like, ah. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you, why are you here? Um, I, 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 that would be truly creepy. Yeah. Because Ty has not been friendly towards six at all. And this is, we're, we're now getting into what I'm going to call the really weird, creepy stuff. Uh, <laughs> because um, Ty starts to get some instruction. He's asking questions and head, uh, six is answering a different type question. of question yeah, yeah, yeah. than what he not is having asking. the same conversation not a, yeah not not the same uh level um he's getting instruction from his hallucination um and the let's see here she starts beating him yeah this is going to go back and forth pretty quickly here but let's just cover tie and six we'll we'll okay. cover the baltar stuff um she starts hitting him over and over and over again and she says, can you feel the clarity? <laughs> Whoa, this is messed up. Like the pain, it's the pain that gives you this clarity of thought and, and makes your mind, you know, focused. On the other hand, we kind of saw this coming from the Cylons because of Deanna, how she became a suicide junkie. Yes. It's not terribly far of a stretch to go from I'm, I'm addicted to hurting myself and hurting others for the 
clarity that it brings to saying, ah, you know what? I know I can be resurrected, so I'm going to kill myself for the clarity that it brings. Uh, yeah. yeah okay. I can, I can kind of see that. Um, I think it kind of ends there. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Ty wants the pain. Yeah. In the end, he's like, yes, more, more. Yes, I'm enjoying this so much. And, that, and that's actually the point at which Six stops, right? She's like, oh, I was wrong. This isn't what you need. And she pulls back his eye patch. And they show the, the eye socket. Yeah. Great makeup job. They yeah. did a fantastic job on that. And then proceeds to kiss his, like, just bloody oozing mouth. It was just really... I don't remember the kiss. How oh, do I not remember the kiss? Yeah, she... That would be so gross. <laughs> There's, like, blood spurting out the sides as they match their lips together. It was pretty weird. Um, I, I, I've got this weird visual of blood <laughs> squirting out the side. It's not that bad. But I didn't say squirting. Been. I said spurting. Like, spurting. <laughs> Just, you know, kind of being forced out by like, the I'm thinking pressure. in my mind the old Japanese, you know, uh, uh, shows where they, they, they'd show the sword going through and then this wave of blood hitting the wall. As the two of their mouths come together, the blood just, oh, there's so much. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but I like where your head's at. I like, I like where you're going with this. Um, but the the interesting uh, the, one of the lines that I really liked here is when uh, Six starts to talk about Gaius Baltar, and I can't remember how like how they get into the conversation, but she says something about how Gaius Baltar's body is fragile or something like that because. Ty's response is, no, we are not going to talk about the fragile body of Gaius freaking Baltar. <laughs> or fracking, I guess is what he says. <laughs> that was a fantastic line. It must have been so much fun delivering that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, so the guards prevent Gaius from entering, I guess, their habitation. I don't know if that's where they live or maybe this is where they they Worship. practice their their religion. Uh, whatever. Um, it's where they live because he says, this is my home. Yeah. I'd like to go home, but can I please enter my home? Yes. Um, this is interspersed back and forth here with some stuff with Rosalind. She says, quote, sometimes the right thing is a luxury. Yeah. And speaking of Lee, she says, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, he's Lee thing is it's probably the right thing, but sometimes the right thing is a luxury and it can have profoundly dangerous consequences correct Uh, this echoes a sentiment she made earlier in her conversation with Gaius Baltar where she the the way she put it was when you're close to death you don't care as much about conventional morality Uh, and these are these are two sentiments that I think show us how far gone Rosalind is we can no longer trust her to successfully lead the human race what's left of the human race and she is I, I I don't know that we can even call her a benevolent tyrant anymore. She is a tyrant. Mm. Interesting. Um yeah, and all of this is happening as, you know, Baltar's getting beat down. <laughs> Head six tells him, Look, you need to do this. And if you do it, you're not gonna get hurt. And what's the first thing that happens? <laughs> he gets punched in the mouth with the butt of a gun. <laughs> And he gets put down on the ground, blood oozing from his mouth. And she says, you need to get up. You need to go in there. This is something that we have to do. 
He gets punched again. She comes down and says, you need to get up. And he gets up. And he goes through again. And right there, <gasps> Lee comes through and says, stop what you're doing. <sighs> because apparently there's no other way to communicate aboard this ship. <laughs> it has to be person to person. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, which I rolled my eyes at significantly, but he comes there and says, no, he has the right to go there. This has been repealed. Let him through. And Lee helps him up and, you know, his, you know, Gaius and and Lee once again together. And, uh, I think Lee still indicates, you know, I I don't like you. I'm not doing this for you. This is because, this is the right thing to do. And they, they come in together. They have their service. And Gaius, you know, shares some of his wisdom and, and doctrine, the, the gospel of Gaius. Um, and he, he basically, uh, the, the point is, you are perfect just as you are. God can only love a perfect thing, and God loves you. You are perfect, um, which it... it it's got to be a powerful, moving thing to have all of that happen. This spiritual leader that you're following get beat down and then, you know, triumphs a little bit and then gives this amazing sermon. He has got a hold of them even more now. You're, you're, you're. And then the, the the episode ends. Now, you had a problem yes, with this. I have a huge problem with this. Okay. And you, you went right past it. Like, it didn't happen. Oh, that's because I don't see it the way you see it. We'll I have talk talked to that. five different people who all see it the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaius Baltar is down on the ground, mm-hmm. and Head Six puts her arms underneath him, lifts him up into the air, and they show the camera shot from outside, and you see Gaius Baltar with his feet suspended off the ground, his arms splayed out in front of him, and he starts moving forward in the air. With no visible means of locomotion or even support. And everyone kind of gasps in surprise at what's going on. Okay. Uh, so I remember you telling me this when you watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, which, that's not accurate. And I rewatched it again. I watched it uh, Friday. Then I rewatched it again f- late Friday night. Uh, right before I went to bed. Because I was like, oh, let me make sure that you know I didn't just miss it. I I bent my head down to take a note and might have missed it. They do not show Gaius's feet suspended in the air. Okay, I'm sending you a screenshot to post not with this. Happen. I'm sending you a screenshot. He to post. looks awkward when they He's pick him up. Feet. He looks like a puppet. I will grant you because his his legs aren't completely underneath him, but his legs are behind show... him and he moves forward. I I'm going to say that they are actually um, uh, consistent with this because we've seen head six move Gaius around at times. He's they've but other slammed people his have head not down. responded to it. <clears throat> this is in a situation where all the people around him respond to it. They're all seeing and they see this as do you, a miraculous you, do you not event. Think that this is them gasping at the fact that he's continuing to fight against this tyranny. No. And that he is getting up and they're saying, oh, my gosh, I know I wouldn't get up after a beating like that. I, I don't even think that that's remotely possible. Okay. Is there anything else? Did I skip over anything you wanted to cover? Uh, I, I did like <laughs> Rosalind, uh, you know, when she's, when she's talking to the Quorum of Twelve about Gaius Baltar, 
She makes the comment, think about what this man will do with blind religious devotion. And I thought, does she not sense the irony in her stance What's here? the difference between religious devotion and political devotion? Well, and not only that, but that's what she wants. She has been seeking blind religious devotion by calling out to the scrolls of Pythia and this mm. whole I'm the I'm the prophetess that's here to lead you all to I wouldn't Earth go that for my death. I wouldn't go that far. I think it's I think it's very ironic of her. The, the power is is basically the same. Political power versus the religious power, you're still controlling people. Well, what she is talking about is the danger of combining the political power with the religious power. Which I'm like, that's totally what you've been trying to do the entire series, Rosalind. I don't agree with that, but that's okay. fine. Okay. That's fine. Anything else? Nope, that's it. We do have our, our uh, email from Mark who says, Thank goodness for the Quorum of the Twelve. If it weren't for them, the evil President Roslyn would be able to carry out all her evil plans for the domination of all humans. She is the epitome of ruthless dictator. Baltar is just trying to get on with his life. Sci- uh, TV 8, Sci-Fi 8, have a great week later, M. Uh, Mark, thanks very much for taking the time to uh, to email in. Let me just make sure we didn't get any other additional emails. And no. Uh, d- John and Dean, thank you very much for uh, for sending in emails. And John, for, for you know joining us, um, even though your chair is now empty. Joey, science fiction writing. Oh, man, uh, you know, I'm giving this a nine because of the wow. magical flying Gaius Baltar <laughs> and the uh, the interactions between uh, Ty and Ellen, or is it six or is it Ellen? <laughs> Hallucinations, man. Uh, for science fiction, I give this an eight. Um, I see you've already jumped ahead to your television rating, so I'll give my television rating now. Uh, An eight as well. I was captivated by this episode. I think this is so cool. Um, It's destructive in so many different ways. Creepy in several, but I think that that is a draw. I think sometimes people want to watch creepy, um, even if it does mean blood spurting out the sides of people's mouths when they kiss. Um, I think it's, yeah. Uh, you know, I I personally was turned off by kind of the not just the gore, but the the weird psychological mess that's going on with so many characters in this episode. Mm-hmm. You've got Gaius and Tori. You've got Galen just imploding all over the place, <laughs> and you've got uh, Ty and, and Six and what's going on there. And I, it, it turned me off. I did not enjoy it so much. So I'm giving this a six. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening.